Welcome to Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, celebrating 50 years of sharing God's unconditional love and grace. Welcome to the Gospel Truth broadcast. Welcome to a very special edition of the Gospel Truth. You are three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Healing is a part of the atonement of Christ. God wants you well. How can you doubt that you'll get it if you've already got it? You're already blessed. Everything that Jesus came to do, the power for it is released through the gospel, the good news, the nearly too good to be true news. Welcome to our Monday's broadcast of the Gospel Truth. Today is my fourth and final week of ministering on Who Told You That You Were Naked? Quite a title. This is a brand new book I've got out, Who Told You That You Were Naked? And actually what this is is a study of what the Scripture has to say about the conscience. And of course, we also have CDs and DVDs. And again, this is my fourth and final week to be ministering on this. So I encourage you to please get this material. Basically, this is just a teaching about how that a lot of the... Con well, let me rephrase that. How that the condemnation that we feel is not coming from God and it's not even coming from the devil. It's coming from your conscience. And here's a real brief summary of the things that we've talked about, that God did not create Adam and Eve with a conscience. They gained a conscience when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree, that uh, description of it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is descriptive of what the conscience does. Here in Romans chapter 2, it says in verse 15, these people show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So this and many other scriptures where Paul talked about that he exercised himself to have a conscience clear of all offense and on and on we could go. We've already dealt with a lot of these things. But a conscience is something that came when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the very first thing that the conscience did was condemn them over their sin, make them feel ashamed. Fear came and they ran from God. And so God came and called Adam's name and asked where he was. And Adam said, I've hid myself because I was naked. And the Lord said in Genesis chapter 3, who told you that you were naked? And I said at the very beginning of this that the Lord woke me up. I mean, I was dreaming and in the middle of the night, He just woke me up and said, who told you that you were naked? That phrase came to me and it woke me up and I was studying on this and uh, the, the things that I've been teaching for the last three weeks are basically the outgrowth of what God spoke to me. And here are some of the important things. That once mankind sinned, they needed a conscience. We need an intuitive knowledge on the inside of us that helps us discern right from wrong. Did you know that uh, an evaluation of what's right and wrong is somewhat subjective? And especially people that don't have the law. Now I'll talk about this in a minute, but once uh, mankind got so far removed from God, this is one of the reasons that God gave the law, His perfect standard of what's right and wrong. And when God gave the law, it made our conscience come back to center. It brought us back to here is the proper standard of right and wrong. And the law actually amplified the voice of our conscience and it condemned us even more. 
So I've already made a lot of these points, but a person who is living under the Old Testament law is a person who is going to live under condemnation because that was what the purpose of the law was. And I've already used a lot of these scriptures. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible calls the law a ministry of condemnation and a ministry of death. The law wasn't given to encourage us and to bring us closer to God. It was given to show us how sinful we were and it made our conscience even more vile. It made it even more condemning. And the purpose of that was to drive us away from self-righteousness and recognize that even if you're better than I am, you're better than somebody else, you have sinned and come short of the glory of God and it made you guilty before God. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. So the law strengthened the conscience and that was good as far as bringing us to a place where we needed to know that the only hope we ever had of salvation was not us straightening our life up and living holy, but rather it drove us to our knees to cry out and ask for God's mercy. And that was revealed to us through Jesus. So the conscience served a good purpose to show us our need for God, but it was completely impotent and incapable of ever providing us with relationship with God because nobody can keep the law. So before you get born again, our, the law amplified the voice of our conscience, brought us into condemnation, and that is necessary. There are people today who have understood the grace of God and understand that God is not imputing our sins unto us. And so they just think, well, let's throw the law out and there is no use of it. And yet the scripture says that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, etc. There is a function of the law and not everybody knows the Lord. Let me rephrase that and say very few people relative to the, to the masses know the Lord and we still need the law. We still need the Ten Commandments. We still need this is right and this is wrong so that people can recognize what a proper standard of morality is. And especially for those that don't know the Lord. Now, once you get born again, you have a different witness. The Holy Spirit is constantly ministering to you. And we dealt with these verses out of uh, John chapter 16, where it says the Holy Spirit, when He was, is come, will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now that's been misinterpreted and misapplied even by the church. And it'll say that the Holy Spirit's the one that makes you feel miserable. You know, I was going to get to these verses. I'll get to them later, but let me just turn over and say this out of John chapter 16. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples the night before his crucifixion, giving them some last minute instructions and telling them how to function once he's gone. And so he said this in John chapter 16, and in verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you. That means it's to your advantage that I go away. You know, that's hard for us to understand. How can anything be better than having Jesus in his physical body here on this earth where he could speak to us and touch us and minister to us? How can anything be better than that? But he says, it's better for you. It's expedient that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter, will not come. Notice that he called him the comforter, not the condemner, not the convictor. And if you were to take the typical message about the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ today, not everybody, but typically, probably the majority of people, most people see the Holy Spirit as the one who just condemns them, makes them feel miserable. 
I've heard so many testimonies about people saying that, you know, they were supposed to do something. They were supposed to give this amount of money in the offering and they didn't do it. And they were just miserable that the Lord wouldn't let them go. And they felt terrible until they finally repent and go ahead and do it. That is not the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the one convicting you and making you feel miserable about what you've done. He's called the Comforter. But when the Comforter is come, it says that when He has come in verse 8, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And the sin that He's talking about is not, He's not going to nail you over. You got drunk. You committed adultery. You did this. You did that. You know, the sin, it, the Lord knew that people would misinterpret this and so He explained it. The next three verses tell you exactly. He says in verse 8 that He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And so in verse 9, it says, here's the sin, not sins, plural, but the sin, singular, that He convicts people of because they believe not on Me. Now, this is true of unbelievers. Unbelievers, their real sin isn't the fact that they're committing adultery and they're doing this. Those things are just manifestations of a sin nature that they have. The real problem is that they have just never looked to Jesus. They've never trusted Jesus and they are doing things on their own. That's the real problem. And the Holy Spirit will convict them that, you know what, your problem is you need Jesus in your life. You need a Savior. You need a relationship with God. This is the fruit. He may show you that, yes, you've committed adultery, but the adultery isn't the big thing. And I know that by me saying that, um, people who are really into the law and stuff are just going to be flipping out and saying terrible things about me. But you can look over in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and where David committed adultery with Bathsheba and even murdered her husband to cover up that adultery. The Lord came to him. And if you read those verses, the real problem was that, David, you didn't trust me. You didn't ask me. He says, if you weren't content, I would have given you another wife. It wasn't so... And again, I'm not saying that adultery is okay. Adultery is damaging to you and to everybody else. You could take the life of David and show that this opened up a door to sexual sins that affected his son Ammon. It caused Absalom to kill Ammon. It caused a civil war. Tens of thousands of people died. Ahithophel, who was Bathsheba's grandfather, hated David and because of it counseled Absalom, David's son, to go in and commit adultery with all of David's wives. I mean, there was a lot of consequences. There are consequences to sin and you can sit there and say that, no, adultery is terrible and don't do it because of this and this and this. You can get sexually transmitted diseases. You're going to destroy a marriage. What about your children? You can talk about all of those things and those things are real and I'm not saying they don't exist. If that's all there was to sin is just the physical consequences, that would be more than enough reason to quit living in sin. But if you read, let me just turn over here. I know some of you are flipping out on this. Uh, man, there's so many things you have to counter. And when I say one thing, it opens up a door to another. But let me just read this to you here in 2 Samuel chapter 12. This is where David was finally, his sin was exposed. And in verse 7, and Nathan said to David, thou art the man. He had given a parable about a man who had sinned. And David said, kill him. 
And Nathan turned around and says, You are the man. The parable was really about David. He says, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house, thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Again, you have to take this in context. In the New Testament, in chapter 10 of Mark, uh, the Lord said that, you know, from the beginning of creation, God commanded one man to live with one woman. That is what God created it to be from the beginning of creation. The scribes and the Pharisees came out and said, well, then why did Moses give the uh, ability to get a divorce and go marry another person? And Jesus said, that it was because of the hardness of their heart. This never was God's will. God intended for one man to marry one woman and stay with her for life. That is God's will. But because of the hardness of the heart, God allowed divorce and remarriage. It never was God's best. So if you take that into account, when he says that I gave you your master's wives, that's talking about Saul's wives. David, I think, had 13 wives altogether. And the scripture shows that never was God's best. And even though it wasn't God's best, here's the Lord saying that if that wasn't enough, if 13 wives for you wasn't enough, I would have given you more. This wasn't God's will. It wasn't his best, but because of the hardness of heart, he was willing, he would have given David another wife if that's what he really needed or wanted. And in verse 9, it says, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? For thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and has taken his wife to be thy wife, and thou hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Look at what he said in verse 10. He says, I'm, this is going to happen because you despised me. Did you know many people would look at what David did and say, well, he didn't despise the Lord. He just got caught up in lust. He, you know, this emotion came over him. And they would look at these actions as a failure, some kind of weakness or something. But that doesn't mean that I've despised the Lord. <clears throat> Let me just bring this down, that there are some of you watching this program right now that you aren't living the way that you know you should, the way that the Word of God encourages. You may have some kind of substance abuse. You may be into pornography. You may be having sexual um, relationships that are contrary to the Word of God. And right now you wouldn't say, well, I don't despise the Lord. Oh, I love the Lord, but I just can't seem to overcome this problem and stuff like this. The Lord said, David, you despise me. You know, the real problem, what really upset the Lord was the fact that David, I was your source. When you were struggling and, and Saul was chasing you and trying to kill you, you depended upon me. You trusted me 100%. You put your life in danger. You sought me. But when he became prosperous, when he became kings, if you go back to chapter 11 in verse 1, it says, at the time that kings go forth to battle, David was just waking up at sunset which means he had been sleeping during the day. He, wasn't, he was the king. He should have been leading the charge. He should have been doing what God called him to do, but he became so successful that he didn't need God anymore. He wasn't depending upon God, and he just did his own thing. And the thing that really upset God in this situation is, David, you've despised me. You, you didn't come to me. 
If 13 wives weren't enough for you, I'd have given you another one if you would have come to me. But the thing that upset the Lord was that he just despised the Lord. You know, I think I've already used this example. <clears throat> I've taught on this multiple times lately, and so I'm not sure if it was television or where I taught on this. But you know, with my kids, I remember the very first time I gave my oldest son permission to use the car and to stay out, I think it was 11 o'clock at night is when we told him to come in. And he came in about 11.15 and I was waiting and I was talking to him and I said, you came in 11.15? He says, well, it's only 15 minutes. What does that matter? And, you know, most parents would sit here and say, well, you know, you could have had a flat. You could have run out of gas. Something could have happened. This is when all of the weirdos are out late at night and uh, you could have got into trouble. And they talk about these consequences. And all of those things are true. There is a reason that you don't stay out two, three, four o'clock in the morning. Uh, seems like, you know, that there's more things going on, more bad things going on at that time. So all of those things are true. But the real thing that, that bothered me and whether a parent realizes it and communicates it correctly or not, I think the real thing that bothers people when you give your children... Uh, you know, responsibility, and you let them do something like take the car and stay out till 11 o'clock, and they come in 11.15. The real thing that bothers you is that you, you gave them something. This isn't something that is a constitutional right. It's not something that's guaranteed to them. You didn't have to do it. You voluntarily trusted them. You gave them something. You put honor upon them saying, I'm trusting you. I'm honoring you enough to believe that you'll do this. And they didn't honor you. They didn't keep their word. They just come in and, you know, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, it was close, that's good enough. And whether you realize it or not, it's like the Lord was saying, David, you despise me. It's not so much what you did, it's the fact that you no longer are dependent upon me. You aren't looking to me. You're king. You can do anything you want to. So you just do things your own way and take advantage. That's what the whole, this is what the Lord is saying over here that the Holy Spirit will come and convict of sin, not individual sins, but he will say that, why are you taking dope? Why are you getting drunk? It's because you aren't trusting me. I want to be the one who provides your needs. You don't have to turn to a pill or to a bottle to be able to cope. And the thing that really bothers the Lord is not you know, the fact that if you drink, you could get cirrhosis of the liver and you could die and it's going to cause all kinds of problems and it's going to cause poverty because liquor is expensive and you could get drunk and have a wreck and kill somebody. All of those things are real. And from a human standpoint, that may be the way we reason with people. But the thing from God's standpoint is you aren't trusting me. You're turning to this bottle and all of these physical things. Yes, the consequences are real and that's enough reason in itself. But with God, the Holy Spirit is not the one condemning and say, you did this. No, it's about, I love you. Trust me, let me deal with this instead of you turning to a bottle or to a needle or something like that. Let me supply your need instead of you sitting there and fantasizing and using pornography or something like this and doing these things. I gave you a mate. You, you look to your mate. You be ravished with her love is what the scripture says. And instead of us depending upon God and taking what God has given us, we find all of these alternative ways of dealing with our things. The Holy Spirit has a positive ministry. So I say all of these things to say that this condemnation that we feel, 
this feeling of, oh God, how could you love me? I know you're displeased with me. These testimonies when people get up and say, I just felt miserable and I couldn't quit. God wouldn't leave me alone. God was just making me miserable. God is not the one making you miserable. God is not the source of that condemnation. Just like when he found Adam, he said, who told you that you were naked? He didn't tell him or he wouldn't have asked that question. God did not give him this sense of shame that caused him to run and hide from God. God was not the source of that. God is not the source of your guilt and your condemnation. The Holy Spirit is not the one making you miserable. And you say, well, then it's the devil. Well, it's not even the devil. It's your conscience. When Adam and Eve ate of that tree, they inherited a conscience. I, I acknowledged this in the beginning that I'm not sure if that's where they got their conscience or maybe their conscience existed and it was just dormant. But when they ate of the tree, their conscience either came alive or they received the conscience for the first time and immediately they felt condemnation. Immediately they felt shame. They felt guilt. They feared God. They ran from God instead of to God. And your sense of guilt and condemnation and this sense of unworthiness is coming from your conscience. And it has a purpose because many of the things that we do are wrong and there are things that you should feel guilty about. But it helps to know that God is not the one giving you this condemnation. Matter of fact, in the book of Romans chapter 8, it says, who is he that will condemn you? It's not God. He's the one that died for you. He's the one that rose again and is even at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for you. God is not the one that's making you condemned and guilty. And it's not even the devil. Although the devil, I believe, will aggravate this and capitalize on it and take your feelings of guilt and unworthiness and make them even worse, you can't even blame all of this on the devil. It's your conscience. And most of us don't realize who the enemy is. We either think it's God that's made us feel guilty and that every time we get around him, he's going to be pointing out everything that you've done wrong. If you believe that, you will not want to be around God much. This is the reason you don't spend more time studying the Word and praying is because you have a misconception and you think this sense of guilt and unworthiness and shame and fear is coming from God. If you think it's coming from the devil, well, then you're sitting here binding and loosening all of these things out here, not knowing that it's what's on the inside of you, your conscience that is causing the problem. And so many people are trying to deal with this sense of guilt and shame and unworthiness and fear in the wrong way, either thinking it's God that's administering it or thinking it's the devil and they're binding and loosening and they don't understand that it's just your unrenewed mind, your conscience, as it says in Romans chapter 2, verse 15, is accusing you or excusing you. Your conscience has been defiled. And I've used a lot of scriptures, 1 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 1 is one of them where it talks about that they have their conscience seared with a hot iron. Your conscience is a guide, but it's not a 100% right guide, guide and it can be defiled. And we also use these verses in uh, first, 
or Hebrews chapter 10 about you have to purge your heart from an evil conscience so that you can come before God into the very holy of holies. So anyway, that's kind of a summary of what we've talked about. I spent the whole day summarizing, but man, that was good. If you understand what we've talked about, this could really help you. And tomorrow we're going to continue on this. Remember, this is my last week to minister on who told you that you were naked. This is a study on the conscience and I promise you, this will be a blessing to you. So listen to our announcer. We also have CDs and DVDs that were taken from a television program. And this week will be my last time to offer these products over television. So listen to our announcer as he gives you this information. Please call or write today and join me again tomorrow as we continue the gospel truth. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the gospel truth. Andrew would like to extend a special thank you to the Grace Partners of Andrew Womack Ministries. Your gifts make it possible for us to broadcast this message consistently all around the world. Because of your contributions, we've been able to put free ministry materials into the hands of millions in need. If you're not already a Grace Partner, we ask you to pray about becoming one today. We hope that you've been blessed by today's teaching, which was taken from Andrew's brand new series titled, Who Told You That You Were Naked? Let me mention once again that I've got a brand new book entitled, Who Told You That You Were Naked? This is actually a study in the conscience. It wasn't God that told Adam he was naked. It wasn't the devil. It was his conscience, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I not only have the book, but I have CDs and I also have DVDs that were taken from our television program. And I tell you, this teaching would really, really help you to have a confidence and an assurance and a boldness with God. So listen to our announcer as he gives you information how you can receive this product. Andrew's teaching titled, Who Told You That You Were Naked? is available in a four-part CD album or in a DVD album made from our daily television broadcast. You can also get this teaching in book form. The teaching highlighted in today's series is available for a gift of any amount when you write or call. We encourage everyone to give, but if you're simply unable to afford it, Andrew and his partners will provide today's teaching free of charge. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111. If the lines are busy, remember you can order ministry materials or become a Grace Partner 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at awmi.net. We'd like to point out Andrew's upcoming speaking schedule. Mark your calendars to come meet Andrew at one of these events and let the Word of God transform your life. In the month of January, to welcome in the new year, Andrew will be in Phoenix, Arizona for the annual Phoenix Gospel Truth Conference. In February, he'll be in Orlando and Oakland, Florida. In March, he'll be at the Sanctuary in Woodland Park, Colorado for the annual Karis Bible College Men's Advance with special guest Tony Dungy and James Brown. Also at the Sanctuary in March, Andrew will be hosting the ARMI Conference for Ministers. For more details on Andrew's next meeting in your area, visit our website at awmi.net. I'd like to encourage you to check out our inside story on our website. This is where we interview people behind the scenes. Go check it out at awmi.net and then check on the inside story. It'll be a blessing to you.
Thanks to the support of our friends and partners, Caris Bible College is able to reach more people with the gospel than ever before through the continued expansion of our Phase II building project. For the latest information on the Phase II construction update, go to awmi.net. Harris Third Year is equipping an army to go into the seven mountains of influence in every society. In our Third Year School of Business, you will learn from experienced professionals on how to implement and run a successful business. Students will receive sound business principles grounded in the Word with the tools to impact the marketplace for the Kingdom of God. My favorite part about business school would be the labs where we can actually take all the knowledge that we've been learning and apply it to our own businesses. Business school is the way to put legs to your vision and what God put in your heart. Ignite your vision and take your mountain. For more information on our third year school of business, go to karisbiblecollege.org slash third year.